This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Book Riot's own Recommended, a podcast where we talk to interesting people about the books they love. Each 20-minute episode features two interviews with guests from the book world, each discussing an all-time favorite book. Whether it's a best-selling author, an editor from behind the scenes, or an industry insider, they've all got a book to recommend. Season one is available in full, and season two is airing right now. Past guests include National Book Foundation executive editor Lisa Lucas, Salam Reads editor Zareen Jeffrey, and authors including Attica Locke, Lee Bardugo, Jasmine Ward, Alexander Chi, James McBride, Joe Hill, Tessa Dare, and many more. As one listener said, hearing the authors give such passionate book recommendations makes me want to read them all. The only competition is the recommended books. Find out what books have shaped the lives and careers of some of your favorite authors. You can subscribe to Recommended on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 168, and today we are talking about books being released on July 24th, 2018, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow well redhead, Rebecca Shinsky. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello. Hi. It's been a while since we've been together. It has, because we had to switch some things around, because vacations and Amanda leaving and all this stuff. But now we get two weeks in a row. Yeah. Like old times. Yes. Like the old timey days three years ago (laughs) or last year. (laughs) I don't know. I don't even remember. (laughs) <laughs> when that time was, but it's very nice. I'm, I've been missing you. I'm glad to be back today. I miss you, and we're going to be recording together in person next week, which is and exciting. That is, it's going to be fun. Sitting, sharing one microphone, and doing who knows what kinds of crazy Muppet arms at each other. <laughs> <laughs> and there will be donuts. Yes. Well, there should always be donuts, but there will definitely be donuts this time. Um, Before we get into the books of the week, I want to remind our listeners that over at Book Riot, we're giving away $500 of the year's best YA fiction and nonfiction, selected by Kelly Jensen, who is a former YA librarian and our current Book Riot YA expert. The titles include Children of Blood and Bone, Anger is a Gift, and Dread Nation, among many others, because you can get many books for $500. If you want to enter, which you should, do that by July 31st. Go to bookriot.com slash 500YA giveaway. That is the number 500 in order to enter. Again, it's bookriot.com slash 500YA giveaway to enter to win $500 worth of the year's best YA fiction and nonfiction so far. Awesome. It's so awesome. I would love to win a thing like that. I know. And you get so many of them because some of them are in paperback now, so they're like mm-hmm. $10, so you had to get more, you like to make the $500. Yeah. There's it's a ton so, of I'm books there. It's a great prize. It. Yeah. I have some great books that I would like to talk about, starting with this one, which I read uh, over the weekend when I did the 24 and 48, which is always a great time. I love that readathon. 
Uh, this is Jello Girls, A Family History by Ali Robottom. Um, first, can I just start out by saying that I am first very disappointed to learn that Michael J. Fox's middle name was not Jello. Like, <laughs> this was a thing that was like a trivia when I, question, like when I was a little kid. Like it was just like in like People magazine or something. They were like Michael J. Fox's parents let him pick his own middle name, and he decided on Jello. And it was like lore. I mean, everybody was like Michael J. Fox's middle name is Jello. This. That's because I'm very old and. <laughs> Like, a couple of years ago, I was Googling something about it, and they were like, no, that's not true. And I was like, oh. That's a really good urban legend, though. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I liked it a lot. But So that's what Jello makes me think of. But this one by Allie Robottom is about her family. She is part of the Jello fortune. Uh, her great-great-uncle bought the recipe and everything that went with it in like 1899 and turned it into the huge thing that Jell-O is today um, in Leroy, New York, the small town. And this is sort of a sort of a history of that, but more so a history of her family and the women in her family um, and uh, all the tragic things that have happened. Um, there's supposedly a curse on her family. Um, there was a lot of alcoholism, depression, and uh, family members who died by suicide over the years. And she talks about, like, what that was like um, to be part of this huge thing, to have all this money and the, she, I think she calls it the boredom that accompanies being that wealthy. Um, you know, she talks about her grandmother, who was part of the family from, like, an uncle by marriage or something, uh, and how uh, her unhappy she was. Uh, she, her first marriage was, like... Basically, this guy just married her because she was part of this fortune, and immediately it turned bad. And and then her second marriage was to a pilot, um, and and she just was so unhappy with the traveling and all the stuff, and like how she ended up like she wanted to get away from that town where she grew up so badly, but she ended up back in that town because she didn't know what else to do. Um, and then there's Allie's mother who was very ill; she had the same cancer that her mother had had. And she's, like, taking care of her and talks about taking care of her at the beginning. And, and she talks about how she thinks, you know, the curse of the family was really just basically men. Like, mm. the, the, you know, the societal expectations on women at the time, you know, to ha just to have children and be rich and sit around and, and do all these things. Um, it's really interesting. And like I said, she also talks about... You know, a bit about the history of Jell-O, like the history of its advertising campaigns, uh, the ups and downs that it has experienced over the years, um, you know, the, the many uses that people have found for Jell-O. Luckily, she doesn't go into how they make Jell-O much, which is, mm -hmm. as a vegan, quite good for me. That was, uh, as I started reading it, I was like, oh, right, but she doesn't really talk about that too much, so that's good. Um, and she also talks about this, which I apparently missed. I don't remember hearing about this in the news, but I guess it was national news. Um, this mass hysteria among teenage girls in their town in, like, the late aughts. Like, sort of like a Megan Abbott novel kind of hysteria where these girls all started experiencing Tourette-like syndrome mm -hmm. uh, symptoms and... Um, just, it was, started going all around the town and started affecting, like, a nurse in the, the hospital that was treating them. It's very interesting. Um, and it's just, it's about the bonds of family, the bonds between mothers and daughters. It's about illness, both physical and mental. Um, it's a lot darker than you would expect for a book with brightly colored wobbly blobs on the cover, you know? <laughs> like, it's a, but it's very interesting. So again, it's called Jello Girls, A Family History, and it's by Allie Robottom.
I've had that on my list, and I'm glad to hear that it's so good. Yes, it's very substantial. Unlike Jello. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So my next pick this week, or my first pick this week, we're leading off strong, uh, continuing <laughs> my uh, reading of every former Obama staffer memoir that I can find is From the Corner of the Oval, which is a memoir out from Beck Dory Stein. Um, this is different from the pantheon of Obama staffer memoirs that we've seen so far in that Beck Dory Stein w- is not a political person. She didn't have a policy-focused job. Um, she wasn't even actually that interested in politics. But in 2012, she was tired of working a bunch of different part-time jobs. And she answered a Craigslist ad about um, something about like how many words per minute she could type or something like that, and got a follow-up message to the application that was like, by the way, this is actually an application to work as a stenographer in the White House. You passed the first round of screening. Do you want to come for an interview? And she had no idea really what that would entail. But she went for an interview and she ended up taking the job. And her job was to manage the audio recording devices that were in meeting rooms and presentations and speeches that President Obama was giving, and then to be or to be one of the people who does that, and then to be one of the people who, um, when they weren't on the trips or in the room, was receiving the recordings and transcribing them um, to be given to journalists for coverage. And so she was like, right next to the action, like sitting in all kinds of meetings, going on all kinds of trips around the world, and like learned about the way the White House functions from the inside out, learned about um, a lot of the Obama administration policies from the inside out, and coming in pretty cold, didn't really know much at all. Along the way, she makes a bunch of friends with the people that she works with. She has some rivalries. She has this on again, off again, very ill-advised but steamy affair with a guy who's also traveling with the president on a bunch of trips where he has this girlfriend that he's basically cheating on the girlfriend with her when they're on trips, but maybe they like each other, but who knows? Uh, And it's very much a coming-of-age memoir against this incredibly unique job experience working in the White House. It's the most fun of all the presidential um, memoir, not presidential memoirs, but of all the Obama staffer memoirs that I've read so far, but also quite substantial. And she digs into her personal life um, to the degree that you can have a personal life when you're traveling with the president um, and presents that a lot more. It's just a nice, I think it's just a really nice additional flavor to all of the Obama staffer memoirs. Like the cover is hot pink. You know, it's very juicy. Um, One of the blurbs for it says it's Bridget Jones goes to the White House. And I wouldn't call it that. Like Dory Stein is very competent in the way that like is different from how Bridget Jones a lot of the humor comes from her mishaps. Um, but Beck Dory Stein is very competent. She's aware of what she's doing and of the significance of her job, of really how unusual it is to get to just you know, travel around the world with the president and see amazing places. And, you know, like she's having her workplace affair in very luxurious and glamorous destinations. Um, so it's it, it's really fun. It's like steamy and gossipy, um, but also substantial and interesting. I think it's perfect for summer. I read it while traveling a couple of months ago, but this is the right time to pick this book up. So it's From the Corner of the Oval by Beck Dory Stein. Speaking of perfect books to read this summer, let me tell you about our first sponsor. Please do. Today's episode is sponsored by How to Love a Jamaican's. 
Stories by Alexia Arthurs. Tenderness and Cruelty, Loyalty and Betrayal, Ambition and Regret. Award-winning author Alexia Arthurs navigates these tensions to extraordinary effect in her debut collection. Arthurs is a writer on the rise, and her intimate tales take on today's important topics, race, class, immigration, teenage pregnancy, and gay culture. Best-selling author Zadie Smith calls it thrilling and says Alexia Arthurs is all too easy to love. Sweeping from close-knit island communities in Jamaica to the streets of New York City and Midwestern university towns, these 11 stories, most never before published, form a portrait of a nation, a people, and a way of life. It's published by Random House, and it is available now. This was one of the books I was going to talk about today, <laughs> and then uh, they were a sponsor. So that tells you how good it is. This I loved this book. The stories are fantastic. They are very much like Zadie Smith. Um, if you like Zadie Smith, if you like short stories, they are, were amazing. So again, it is called How to Love a Jamaican, and it's by Alexia Arthurs, which I feel like is not coming out with my main accent. I don't know, but it's A-R-T-H-U-R-S. It just sounds funny in my ears when I'm saying it. It's so hard to say ours when you're from Maine. <laughs> so, my next pick is a very dark and nasty thriller that I also read this weekend for the 28 and 48. Um, was just what I needed just to end my day. It was just a really disturbing. You probably shouldn't be <laughs> and reading this. And then try to go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah, this is definitely one of those you don't want to read this alone in the house. But if you like these kind of books like I do, you'll like this one. It's called A Noise Downstairs. It's by Linwood Barclay. It's about a guy named Patrick. When the book opens, Patrick uh, is driving behind a car that is sort of weaving erratically, and he's quite certain that it is being driven uh, by his colleague, a professor at the college where he teaches, um, his colleague Kenneth. Uh, he thinks that he is driving drunk. So he's going to follow him uh, to try and assist and keep Kenneth from getting a DUI. What it turns out to be is that Kenneth has two dead bodies in his car, and Ooh. when Patrick pulls over to find out what's going on, Kenneth strikes him in the head with a shovel. And then it jumps eight months later. Patrick has survived. Um, he is alive. He has serious head trauma, because shovel. Uh, uh, Kenneth is in jail. He has been arrested and imprisoned for the murder of these two women who he had in his car. So... The book follows Patrick. He's, you know, he's been eight months. He's getting ready to go back to the school to start teaching again. But, you know, he's having some problems. He has some memory lapses. Like, he'll send a text message and doesn't remember that he did it. His wife will ask him to do something and, like, pick something up at the grocery store. He doesn't remember that conversation. Um, so, and he's also, he's a little distressed that his colleague tried to kill him. So he has been attending therapy with a doctor named Anna. And... Part of his therapy, he feels, and Anna also agrees, is that he needs to tell his story. Like, he survived this terrible thing, and so he needs to write his story. So his wife buys him a typewriter, which becomes the source of the title, The Noise Downstairs. Mm. He starts hearing the typewriter in the middle of the night, when no, no one is in the house. Nope. nope. <laughs> <laughs> Too spicy. So, at first, he thinks, like, he has a young son... He thinks it's his son. His son is very upset that he accuses him of using the typewriter at night. But there's, he starts putting paper in the typewriter, and when he gets up, there are actual words. Like, things that the women, the women that were murdered had said to their killer before they died. And so now he thinks the ghosts of these murdered women are writing to him because he is the survivor. So while that's going on, his therapist, Anne, is dealing with this creepy stalker patient. She has... This patient who just 
plays some really horrible pranks on people. He thinks it's funny to, like, call the relatives of people who have lost someone and pretend to be that person. Um, he's just, he's all messed up. So Patrick and this man cross paths. So now Patrick thinks that possibly this man is getting in his house and doing these things. He f but what it comes down to is he thinks the only way to solve this problem is to go and visit Kenneth in jail and talk to him about what's going on. Hmm. So I'm not gonna spoil any more of it, except to tell you that three quarters of the way into this book, it took a serious sharp left and focuses on something entirely different. And I was so on board, like so thrilled. I love it when that happens, it's very rare. Um, there's a movie called Malice with Alec Baldwin and Nicole Kidman from like 1993. And that, in the middle of the movie, the th main story that you think is the heart of the film ends and turns into something else. And that was like the first time I had ever seen something like that. So even though it's like a really not good movie, <laughs> except for Baby Newer's horrible Boston accent, um, it's it was the first time I had heard that. So I just love it dearly. And that is what this book does. Like you are so focused on something in this book that something else happens and it's completely different. So... Yeah, I said nothing about anything right there except that it was really <laughs> exciting. Um, so again, if you like dark and nasty books, and this is dark and nasty, there something bad does happen to the dog. I'm just going to spoil that for you. Oh no! Um, it is a noise downstairs by Linwood Barclay. All right, to stick with dark and nasty, but this isn't quite as dark and nasty. <laughs> um, my next pick came out last week and you graciously allowed me to have it this week because uh, we both love this book. It's Give Me Your Hand by Megan Abbott, who I think is doing thrillers about women better than anybody else's these days. Um, and this is the first one in a while that's mostly adult women. Uh, it's about a woman named Kit who has spent her basically her entire life working to get um, into. She's getting a PhD in chemistry, and she has been wanting to work for this very in this very specific lab um, under a brilliant researcher. Like this is her dream, and now she's doing it. And what they are studying is PMDD, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, um, which is like. PMS on steroids. And uh, in the book, they are looking to get into like, how really how significantly does this affect women? And this is what the researchers are out for maybe some murders, some terrible things that women have been known to do can be attributed to um, some of the things that are happening in their bodies when they're having PMDD. And there's just a righteous feminist rage running through how little science research and science research funding is given to looking at problems that affect women and wanting to cast light on that. So you're coming into it with uh, with that framing already. Kit is finally working in this lab. And then one day, this woman named Diane Fleming shows up to work in the lab. She is also a brilliant academic. And what we very quickly find out is that this is not the first time that the two have met. They knew each other in high school, and uh, Diane is sort of responsible for having driven Kit to become an ambitious student and to get access to some experiences and opportunities that led to her working in this fancy lab. But their friendship fell apart after Diane told Kit a really big, dark secret about herself. And now it's more than a decade later, they're thrown back together in this highly competitive situation. The book moves back and forth between the present day and flashbacks from their friendship in high school and ultimately how it fell apart and to some very dark 
nasty things that are happening with their colleagues in this lab. I don't want to say anything else about it. It is very surprising. I read it in like, I think one sitting, I just couldn't turn away from what was ha- what's going to happen next. What form is this going to take? Um, there are trigger warnings if you're going into the book for suicide and some self-harm and um, eating disorder adjacent kinds of stuff. Um, but note that it's going to be a little gnarly uh, getting there. It's I, I loved this book. I love Megan Abbott. I think she's just so gutsy in the ways that she brings um, women's issues and women's friendships and how the competitiveness and nastiness that shows up between women in this book, between girls in some of her other books, is born of, um, essentially born of patriarchy and that pits women against each other for very limited opportunities and how that pressure cooker leads to really awful situations. But then you get the added layer here of looking at some biology stuff, looking at the science community through the lens of PMDD. It's fascinating. It feels very timely. I just loved it. So that's Give Me Your Hand by Megan Abbott. She's basically, they're making like a TV show or a movie out of everything that she's written in the last few years. And they should. All at once. (laughs) Yes. It's pretty exciting. So my next pick I have only read half of because, as I was explaining to Rebecca before the show, first, I did not have the book that I thought I had to read, and then I read a book that did not come out today, thinking it was this week, so I was a little behind. But I am loving it so far, and I wanted to share it with you because it's uh, Women of the Dunes. It's by Sarah Main, like M-A-I-N-E, like the great state that I am in at this moment. And I've never read her before, and it was fantastic, or it is fantastic so far. Um, it's a historical mystery, but more in, like, the fiction vein, like, it's it's cataloged under fiction as opposed to mystery. There's an archaeologist named Libby, and she has always been intrigued by the story of Ellenis, this town on the Scottish coast where an 8th century Norse woman landed. Uh, her name was Ulla, and she showed up. There was a monk who lived on the coast, and this woman shows up with these, uh, with this man, and she says, he's dying, and she said, you know, my husband tried to kill him, it's his brother, I need you to save him. The story is kind of, gets kind of murky after there, except that, that, uh, Ella is pregnant, she has a baby. There's a lot more lore that goes with that story. It's a story that Libby's grandmother used to tell her, which was a story that she heard from her relatives, Ellen, who was a maid, Ellen was made at the Sturrock House, which is located right there on the coast and continues to be located right there on the coast, and the family still lives there. And there has always been this mysterious sort of mound of earth, and the archaeologists have always wanted to get their hands on it. And finally, they've been granted a chance to look at it. One of the relatives, uh, the grandson, I believe, decides that they can look at this mound. And it turns out that there is a body in there, um, but not, it's not from Ella's time, it's recent, or recent-ish comparatively to uh, when Ella was there herself. It's about a hundred years old, uh, and it turns out that it's kind of tied to the story of Ellen, the maid, and so the book goes back and forth. Um, you get to hear Ella's story a bit, the 8th century Norse woman, um, but you also go back to 1890 when Ellen is the maid at the house And you also get Libby's story because the body is sort of tied up in things going on in present day. Um, It's sort of like Ruth Galloway, who is in the series by um, Ellie Griffiths that I love. She's an archaeologist. It's like if Ellie, if it's like if Ruth Galloway was in a Sarah Waters story, like it's, 
it's really fun. It is also the opposite of a noise downstairs. It's very slow and rich, and so it doesn't move fast. Um, but it, so far, it's like I said, it's fantastic, and uh, I'm really enjoying it. So again, it's called Women of the Dunes, and it's by Sarah Main. Just every book, there's a body in there. Yeah, but I think every book I'm talking about today. Who knows? Uh, well, I feel like summer is a good time to be reading the mm. the dark and creepy. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you about our next sponsor this week. Yes, please. Our good friends at Bombas are back. If you don't know, Bombas is the most comfortable kind of socks in the history of feet. They spent more than two years in research and development to re-engineer socks with innovations that make them more comfortable. My favorite is the Honeycomb Arch Support System, which provides extra support where you need it most, but also just feels like the middle of your hug is, the middle of your foot is getting a nice hug. They have stay-up technology that ensures the socks stay in place. Nothing is more annoying than feeling your socks slowly sliding down your calves, just slumping when you can't get to them. So with Bombas, you don't have that issue. They stay in place, but they also never leave a mark. I can attest to this. I have worn many a pair of Bombas socks while hiking. And they're made of super soft cotton material that will keep you warm in winter, but cool in the summer. And better yet, because socks are the most requested item in homeless shelters, Bombas donates one pair of socks for every pair that they sell. That's over 7 million pairs so far. We've talked on the show before when we've had Bombas as a sponsor about how neither of us likes to wear socks or shoes. I am barefoot as often as I can possibly be, but I've been finding myself putting on my Bombas socks running around in the evenings lately because it just feels so nice to have them on my feet. Like I've said, it's like getting a little hug for your feet. If you're a runner or you go to any kind of workout class, whatever, any sorts of working out that you're doing, I think Bombas are the best picks for the ankle socks or the no-show socks to wear inside your running shoes because they stay in place. You do, they don't slip down. You don't lose them inside your sweaty shoes. Um, it's very effective. They come in a ton of great colors. Um, I, I like that as well. So, like So often the practical socks for life, like hiking socks and athletic socks, come in like white or black, and that's it. Um, Bombas has a ton of choices. If you would like to give your feet a hug, you can do that because all the books listeners get 20% off their first order. Go to bombas.com slash all the books and use the code all the books at checkout to get 20% off. That's B-O-M-B-A-S.com slash all the books and use the code all the books to get 20% off your first order. I love the no-show ones. I've been putting them on, like, when I work out, I've been putting them on in my sneakers, but I've discovered a couple times now that I've put them on in just my regular shoes now when mm -hmm. I go out, and I don't even remember doing it. It's probably that shovel to the head, but <laughs> I'm just like, who am I putting socks on? You know, on? I like the no-show ones, too, because my signature shoe is um, the... Chuck Taylor Converse mm -hmm. All-Stars. And I love them, but I tend to wear them without socks in the summer, especially. And my feet sweat, and then my feet <laughs> smell, and then my chucks smell. Yep. And it's because it's hard to find a sock that looks cool with chucks. I just like the way they look without socks. But the no-show socks solve this problem, and I'm no longer the kid with smelly feet. And <laughs> so. they look like duck bills when you don't have them on. They do. <laughs> Yet another selling point. <laughs> hey, listen. I'm full you of know, ideas. <laughs> the talking point said that we were free to go rogue. So there it is. Um, I went foul. Oh, Liberty. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. 
I'm very sorry about that one. I'm sorry. Bombus.com slash all the books and use the code all the books at checkout for 20% off. Um, Okay, my next pick this week. This is one you recommended to me when I was flailing around for more books coming out this week to pick. And I'm so glad you did. It's I Can't Date Jesus, Love, Sex, Family, Race, and Other Reasons I've Put My Faith in Beyonce by Michael Arsenault. This is a memoir in essays about growing up black and gay and Catholic and separating from the Catholic Church in his adulthood, but struggling with wanting to, um, he's not an atheist, struggling with wanting to have faith, find a faith community that feels good to him without being, or find a way to express his faith that's not like membership in a church because he has really wrestled with um, so many of the church's messages and so many Christians' reactions to gay people. Um, so that's part of it. But we also get uh, stories about his family. There are um, trigger warnings here for um, domestic violence and for abuse, um, but stories about his family, about growing up, um, being different, and maybe recognizing in adulthood that the members of his family knew that he was different before he did. Um, If you liked um, Samantha Irby, I think that this book is going to be right up your alley. It's a really pleasing mix of funny but poignant, um, very open and vulnerable about his life experiences, but also told in a really funny and of-the-moment way. I really, really loved the voice um, of his writing. I read it on a train ride to and from a Janelle Monet concert and like that one-two punch of um, just stories and humor and owning your personality and owning your sexuality and just sort of standing in the things that make you unique was really uplifting and inspiring to me. It was. It's just really, a, it's a fun read, but also has a lot of substance. Um, and so I'm recommending it. I had a great time. I Can't Date Jesus by Michael Arsenault. My last picks are two picks because, like I mentioned before, I messed everything up. Uh, so I wanted to mention that this weekend, both uh, Emil Ferris and Tilly Walden won Eisner's, which are like the Oscars of comic awards. And I love their books, so I just wanted to quickly mention them again. I never get tired of talking about my favorite thing is monsters. I saw some people reading it online this weekend and just loving it. I talked about it a million times. Here's a million and one. It is a ginormous graphic novel. It takes place in 1960s Chicago. It's about a 10-year-old girl named Karen. She is obsessed with horror movies and monster movies. Um, she's living through some uh, crazy political times. Her mother is sick. Her brother is trying to take care of them. Uh, her neighbor dies. She thinks that it was murder, so now she decides she's going to be a detective. She's 10 years old, you know. And she's keeping a diary. The book is supposedly the diary of all this going on. She draws herself as a wolfman. It's the art in this book is like nothing else I have ever seen. Um, it's no surprise at all that she won awards for this. Uh, the second one is supposedly coming out on September 11th, but the date has already been pushed a couple of times. And considering how long it took to get the first one published, who knows, but let's keep our fingers crossed. Uh, Tilly Walden's book is called Spinning. It's a graphic memoir that came out last year about her life. She was an ice skater. Uh, She, I believe in New Jersey it was, and her parents moved her to Texas for work reasons, and so she took up skating there, but she didn't really fit in. She also realized uh, when she was there that she was attracted to girls, which is, you know, a hard thing to talk about when you're in Texas. Um, And she realized she didn't really want to skate anymore. Um, And it's just her life you know, going through that, realizing that she wants to draw 
and it's so good. So again, those are My Favorite Thing is Monsters by Emile Ferris and Spinning by Tilly Walden, who has a new book coming out in October, which is also amazing. Uh, I'm forgetting the name of it right now, but congratulations to them. And now it's you. All right. My last pick this week is one that I read when it first showed up on my doorstep a couple, like several months ago. Um, and I've been waiting for it to um, to finally come out so I can remind everyone about it. It's Killing It, An Education by Kamas Davis. Uh, if you were a fan of, um, oh, what is the book about the woman who becomes a woodworker? Hammerhead. Yes, Hammerhead by Nina McLaughlin. You will love this. Uh, Kamas Davis was a longtime magazine editor, but she had left her job in New York City, moved back to Portland, Oregon with the man that she thought was going to be her husband. She took a job at a Portland magazine, but that didn't pan out. The relationship didn't pan out. And feeling really sort of disillusioned and at her wits end about what direction to go in life, she was really bored with writing these articles about people that were living their best lives and that were supposed to be like the real thing. She wanted to be the real thing. Um, And when a friend of hers told her about a woman named Kate Hill, who lives in Gascony, France, and runs a cooking school, she decided this was the thing that she needed to do. Um, So she has like just enough money on her credit, like left in her credit card that she can go and do this. She buys a plane ticket and she arrives in France, she meets another family who are pig farmers and butchers, and they take her under their wing. She learns this very traditional way of raising pigs, of butchering them, and gets connected to working with her hands in what feels to her to be a very authentic and real way, being connected to a community, um, and caring about the way that, where our food comes from, the way that um, animals are raised, and also how they are killed, how the meat is prepared. She becomes very passionate about this um, and goes back to Portland and then has founded a whole like a cooking school and a community center around um, talking about issue contemporary issues in food and how our food is made and where it comes from, but also about just the importance of even caring, paying attention. Um, so it's a real sort of getting back to the basics story, um, getting back to things we can touch with our hands um, and how satisfying that can be when you've been a person who has worked um, with ideas for so long. But there's also a ton of very particular stuff about butchery. You have to eventually care about butchery for the book to work for you. I did very much eventually care about it um, and about food and how our, how our food is made. But it's a wonderful story about a woman re- ultimately reinventing herself, taking a big risk and finding finding um, what she believes is, you know, her true passion in life. Um, Very inspiring. She also writes a lot about being a woman in a predominantly male field and then the historically male field of butchery and the challenges that she's faced there. Um, So there's a feminist angle to it as well. Um, I really, really, really loved it. If you like food writing, um, if you're into things like Nina McLaughlin's Hammerhead, people reinventing themselves um, and sort of getting back to what it means to work with your hands and to actually make something, you will love this. So it's Killing It, an Education by Kamas Davis. So those are the new books. What are you going to read next? She jumps in because she has to figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) 
I have just packed my, starting to, you know, pack my bag for the coming week and look at my life. And I think I'm going to read Ordinary People, which is a novel by Diana Evans that's coming out in September. Um, It's been compared to Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. And it's a look at domestic life, domestic love, um, and has a ton of great blurbs on the galley, including um, one from Nicole Dennis-Ben, whose book I loved, that says, this is a masterfully crafted, beautifully nuanced story about love, loss, and redemption. And I'm here for it. I'm excited. So I'm going to give that a shot. What about you? Uh, I'm going to read Severance by Ling Ma, uh, which just came in the mail today uh, and reminded me that I had heard great things and hadn't read it yet. Um, it's the tagline is, is it the end of the world or just another day at the office? Um, so it looks great. Uh, comes out August 14th from FSG. So I also have that on my list. Yay. Fun. Okay. Well, that's all for today. (laughs) Don't forget to check out the recommended podcast in Apple podcasts or your podcatcher of choice, or you can go to bookriot.com slash recommended. You can enter to win $500 worth of the year's best YA fiction and nonfiction by going to bookriot.com slash 500 YA giveaway. Thank you to How to Love a Jamaican by Alexia Arthur. Arthurs, we will have a link to it in the show notes. You can find it wherever books are sold. And Bombas, give your feet a hug. Go to bombas.com slash all the books and use the code all the books at checkout for 20% off. And if you want to drop us a line, you can do that at all the books at bookriot.com or talk to us on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S C H I N S K Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty. And if you'd like to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, that helps other book nerds find their way to our zany book party. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, in the meantime, happy happy reading. reading. See you next week. Woo!